On October the 31st, 1517, Martin Luther posted 95 big questions which he believed faced the church of his day to a local church door in Wittenberg, Germany. 500 years later, I decided to post 95 new questions, one a week, to the web, questions which I believe the church must face in the 21st century. Faced with a world in rebellion, a world full of exploitation and wickedness, a good God must be a God of judgment, the preacher declares. Absolutely, I agree. The Apostle Paul is clear, we will all face judgment. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body. He tells the church in Corinth in his second letter to them in chapter 5 verse 10. There will be a judgment through which God, the creator of the world, will set the world right once and for all. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But if God is a good God, a just God, the God of love, Perhaps this is only half the story, and perhaps the outcome of any divine judgment will be a huge surprise. Perhaps the last really will be, as Jesus once put it, first. Preachers and theologians queue up to tell us that in order to restore justice, to right what's wrong, in the end the wicked must be judged. But the real questions are, who are the wicked? Are any of us truly innocent? And what does this judgment consist of? In a world of systematic injustice and inequality, why do so few of us see the link between the abandoned eight-year-old boy whose story a charity uses to tug at donors' heartstrings and the young man of 18 who's joined a gang, been drugged, dragged into the world of drugs, stabbed a rival and is now doing time having fathered a child that he's not there for? Or why do so few see the connection between the vulnerable teenage girl who was trafficked for sex and the cold-hearted woman who 20 years later now runs the brothel? It's all too easy to judge others based on nothing more than our own limited understanding and prejudices. Our perception becomes our reality. Having never stood in the ill-fitting shoes of the other, it's too easy to jump to misconceived conclusions and hasty misjudgments about them. Caricatures and stereotypes abound. Misinformation and oversimplification leave us blinded by our own ingrained ideologies. We edit complex stories into simple tales of right and wrong which leave us blameless and others in the dock. But in the words of Martin Luther King Jr, there's some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, he said, we are less prone to hate our enemies. The problem is that in the West, the word judgment has come to carry some very negative overtones, becoming almost synonymous with punishment. So over time, we've come to understand the core of the Bible's message and Paul's theology around God's redemptive action 
action through Christ largely in terms of what has become known as the doctrine of justification. Now justification is an important word for Paul as he puts it in Romans chapter 5 verse 1 since we have been justified through faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But in the Western Church, justification is a word that slowly changed its meaning. Since the 16th century Reformation, it's become a way of talking about conversion, the initiation of the Christian life. All humans are in the dock, we're told. God is the judge and we are found guilty. As, as a result, the, in my view, misguided belief that a person is justified by his or her faith has become a central theme, which is why we take it for granted that Paul's meaning was that only when an individual, through a deliberate act of their choice, places their faith in what Jesus has achieved on their behalf and in their place, through taking what would have been their punishment in his death, on the cross is that individual, that person judged by God as not guilty. However, as we've seen in previous chalk talks, in Paul's thinking and writing, things are very different. The faith we're justified by is not our personal ability to have belief, but rather the faithfulness of Christ. Rather than justification being about how a particular individual becomes a Christian, it's instead Paul's way of stating that we all now share exactly the same status because of what Christ has done for us all. So although our culture often writes Paul off as authoritarian and judgmental, the truth is that it's we, not him, who cling to a medieval, them and us, in or out view of the world, which too readily demonises others without understanding their inner stories. To quote Paul from Romans chapter 8, just as I did last week in Chalk Talk 88, I'm convinced, he says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the faithfulness of Christ for us all. Or to put this in the words of the famous theologian Jürgen Mortmann, the day of Christ's judgment will be the day of God's permanent undoing of evil and the triumph of his love. The day when all the world's unheard, when all the world's losers will finally win. So a question, the day of God's justice, the day when all those denied justice will finally have justice, does that make sense? Is that what the world might expect from the God who is named love? Or do you see things differently? I explore this issue more deeply as well as many others raised by the Apostle Paul's writing in my new book, The Lost Message of Paul. You can purchase your paperback copy today from openchurch.network slash lostmessageofpaul or from any good bookshop. An e-book and an audio book are also available from Amazon as well as from other 
online retailers.